Hello, 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 Power Kids, and welcome to another Power Kid podcast. Guys, every episode, it is my honor, privilege, and absolute joy to bring you these great conversations with great people all over the world making amazing things for kids. I am super excited about the show today. You will be enthused to hear from Aaron Muterick on the show today. You may know him better as Crazy Aaron of Crazy Aaron's Thinking Putty and more. Super excited about the show today. Let me introduce you to Aaron. For 23 years, he has been the owner of Crazy Aaron Enterprises with a labor force that includes individuals with intellectual and physical disabilities. Crazy Aaron has brought stretchy, bouncy fun to kids and adults all over the world. Thinking Putty ships to nearly every country and is made in more than 30 unique colors. He's also currently the vice chairman of the Toy Association. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Now, do you prefer Aaron or Crazy Aaron? What what do we go with here? (laughs) I think in this context, you can go with Aaron. You know, we have a lot of Aaron's that work at Crazy Aaron's. Uh, So... (laughs) I can be crazy, A, and other people, you know, we find our spots. We all find our unique personalities with the same name. I love it. I'm going to start with a different question than I normally start with. Where did the name come from? Is there a story behind that? Is there uh, kind of personify yourself on the can? Where did that come from? And then I'll get into the normal list of questions. Sure. I, you know, it goes back to the, the beginning of the company and the product of the Thinking Putty and everything was I was a software engineer. I worked at a consulting firm. We did internet 1.0 stuff for, you know, Fortune 500 companies. And um, being that software engineer, I was sitting at my desk, compiling code, uploading files, and I needed something to fidget with. And so I had a lot of different toys at my desk. The one that really stuck with me, obviously, was that classic putty in an egg, which eventually, you know, through experimentation became our thinking putty. But my coworkers who were in the process of either stealing my putty or borrowing my different desk toys, they nicknamed me Crazy Aaron because I was not really focusing on the work at hand. (laughs) The cartoon head came later. That was a project manager who was uh, truly a cartoonist trapped in the body of a project manager who drew that for me on a sticky note. And he said, see, this matches the, the nickname Crazy Aaron. And that was it. It was done. Amazing. Amazing. I, I love those origin stories. But you were the putty guy. You're the guy that brought in 100 pounds of silly putty into the office. Tell me about that. And and let's I want to dive into, Aaron, a little bit about just office desk toys. I think it is a much overlooked category. I don't even know if we would call it a category, but so many offices are filled with these little knickknack toys, fidgets and things to play with and things to pass the time. And that's really where your company was born. So let's let's talk about that. For sure. So that is where it was born. Putty, the putty I was making, the, I was learning how to color and create effects. It was not for children. It was large adult-sized handfuls. That sort of speaks to the size of our our flagship product. Um, And it was targeted towards other working professionals in creative industries, whether that was software or the uh, design team or, um, you know, even the the psychologists that we worked with on user experience. Um, Hmm. They were the people who were playing with it. And, you know, the best thing that happened to start my fledgling business um, from selling it under my desk was when the company did a massive layoff and everybody lost their jobs because they all put the putty they had bought from me in their box and they went and got new jobs 
And then all of their new coworkers started calling me saying, hey, we hear you're crazy Aaron. You're the guy where we can get that stuff. Great word of mouth advertisement. Unfortunate circumstances, but great advertisement for you. You mentioned psychology and psychologists that you use. Tell me about the connection between putty and psychology. What's what's the connection there? Sure. I, there's a lot of different aspects of putty as it relates to psychology. I mean, you can tell a lot about a person's personality, uh, maybe how connected they are to that that inner child or their willingness to play as an adult, depending on how they relate to it. But uh, in the professional context back then, we would give people putty to use during focus groups while we were testing them doing different things on the web and just sort of observe observe what they did with it to say something about their personality and also to keep them occupied while we were sort of pumping them with information. The reason it's called thinking putty is because it keeps your hands busy so that your brain can pay more attention. Yeah, it really is the ultimate fidget. What were the challenging aspects early on of building this into a business? I, I get the sense from from reading some of the things in your background that there was a little bit of opposition against this idea that you could build a business out of putty. You know, what, what do you mean? I mean, thus, thus the name Crazy Aaron, right? Um, right? What were the challenges that you were overcoming early in your career? Well, look, I was very young when I started. I was 23 when I started started with the sort of first putty. So that meant that I didn't know all the things I, sh- I should know, but it also means I didn't know anything I didn't know. Um, I just dove right into it, right? I didn't know that I sh- probably shouldn't be spending so much time at work playing with toys and I should probably be doing more of my job. Um, I wasn't, <laughs> right. you know, I was too young to be afraid of that, I guess. Um, but it sort of worked out, right? Um, I didn't know that, uh, you know, sort of the toy industry or how products are sold in any way. I went in completely blind. I was making a product that was fun. I enjoyed. It made my friends happy. It made my friends' friends call me. And so it was just this very positive feedback loop in that respect. Um, When it came time to leave my job, that was sort of a more somber moment, right? I had been very involved in computers since I was a child. I had been working programming since I was in early high school, you know, for paid gigs, And I also knew that the speed of that industry and how quickly things change was if I left, it was very, very unlikely I was going back. You know, even being gone for a year, you'd be playing catch up. Um, And it was a very good, very solid paying profession. So it was also it was walking away from it to take a chance. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you were full steam ahead then in in the putty world. What was the point where you remember really flipping the switch from I'm a guy making putty in my home and selling it out of my home to I'm going to toy fairs. I, I really, you know, I'll take an aside here, Aaron. I am missing your toy fair booth tremendously. Um, I, I, I need those piles of putty every year. Uh, and <laughs> I really do. It's, it's one of the things that I really miss about not seeing people face to face. And it's one of the products that, that I go to is it's just a great memory of the booth that you have at toy fair. So at, at what point did you switch from, I'm doing this out of my house mm-hmm. to, this is a business and I'm going to grow this and I'm going to toy fairs and I'm selling retailers and and growing it. What, what did that switch look like? Sure. So there was that first switch from I'm going to leave my job and make putty, but it actually didn't lead me any closer to the toy industry. Uh, I, we had our website and when we sold, you know, I sold thinking putty on the website to other people that worked in offices and some of them I'm sure gave them to their kids, but it was primarily adults at most of our business for about, 
eight years from the time I left my job was promotional products for corporations, was putting someone else's label on the putty and letting them give it away at, a, at an event or a trade show um, or at a conference to promote engagement. And so what changed and what led me to Toy Fair was the financial collapse of 2008. All those flush budgets uh, of buying swag were just gone. The mm, pharmaceutical right. industry had also had a major change uh, that they were no longer doing swag. And so that was like a billion and a half dollars that just disappeared from that industry overnight. Um, what that meant was I went from a company that was growing year over year over year over year and was way beyond anything I even thought was possible um, to a company that needed to find a new source of revenue. And as much as I had fought the idea of sort of putty for kids because I'm not a kid anymore or because I just thought, my gosh, if adults just played with this all the time, the world would be a better place. Um, I, I started to think about what would be possible um, in terms of Toy Fair. I just didn't know how to break in. So that that took a little more work. Yeah. So, I mean, truly uh, lemonade from lemons there, the, the market crash, the, the the pivot that you had to make with your with your product line. And of course, you, you found a, a wonderful audience um, with kids. And uh, was it specialty stores at first? Are you in mass? It was specialty stores at first. So while I had visited the Toy Fair as an attendee to sort of get a feel for it, probably 2009, um, I did not sort of maybe the confidence to take a booth or even maybe the sense of how to do that exactly um, and didn't really feel that that industry was for me. You go to Toy Fair, it is overwhelming. If you are yes. an inventor <laughs> with an idea, it is a hundred times more overwhelming because everything seems so polished and put together and, you know, there's people walking around and they all have purpose and, of course, they all know a thousand times more than you do. Um, and what changed it was – uh, I guess coming around the corner to 2010 Toy Fair, uh, I got a phone call probably first, second week of January from Jeffrey Kennis at Enchanted Moments. And he said, uh, I saw your product. It was referred to me because he had somehow seen it in a retail store. We probably had like six retailers at that point, you know, just random gift stores uh, of buyers who had really good eyes who found us on the web. And uh, he said, you know, the gift show is in two weeks and Toy Fair is two weeks after that. And if you can be ready with retail product, um, you know, you've got a spot in our booth. And I was like, I, I can do that. I'll, I'll give it a shot. I'm looking for something new. And we went from there. And there it is, the, the first thinking putty toy fair. Now, now, when you go in early, early days, when you go in to sell putty, how do you differentiate between anything else that's on the market? You you have a new formula. Uh, it's the best putty on the market. But what are you what are your talking points when you sell your putty and say this is different than anything that's ever been? Mm -hmm. So when we had that first toy fair. In some ways, we were not brand new, right? We had been in business for, you know, 10 years, 12, 12 years at that point, selling in a very different industry. So the product was mature, right? The formula we knew was the best. We had all of these colors and effects and things, and they had been tested with, you know, thousands of customers at that point. But at the same time, we were showing up to Toy Fair and it was brand new. It was brand new to everybody there. Um, so the pitch was to sell them the idea that putty could be beautiful, that people cared that it would be beautiful uh, because at the time those compounds really weren't made with that, that angle. They were sort of a chemist would come up with an interesting thing and maybe make it a fluorescent color and we were done. 
And um, for me, it was about the texture and the feel that it left in your hands, not just when you were playing with it, but also after you put it back down and exactly how it squeezes between your fingers. And then, of course, how can you make it the most beautiful thing you could possibly imagine in terms of color and shimmer and shine? The other big thing at that time was putty was a dollar store item. And the idea that a customer would be interested in buying a tin for $10 or $15, it just seemed – you know, people who knew retail, they said, no way, this is never going to work. And I was very sure that it would because I had set up my website 10 years prior and had been making a living <laughs> doing it for that entire time. That's right. It, it comes down to the people. It comes down to the perceived value and what the people uh, will pay for. And you had been doing it for 10 years. Uh, so you could look back at the retailers and say, yes, yes, it will work. <laughs> so I think thinking about it, like other entrepreneurs and people building their businesses, like there is something to be said for the sheer force of will of an entrepreneur who completely believes in their product. And eventually, if they just keep doing that, and and it has success, obviously, it has to sell. Um the world can change. You know, people can come along for the ride. They can start to see it in a new way. That's it. And, and you have done so much good through Thinking Putty. Um, talk about your staff. Talk about the charity works that you're involved with. Uh, talk about uh, hiring individuals with intellectual and physical disabilities. This is a huge part of your story. And I just think it really builds the credibility of the whole brand and you want to be involved in something like this. So tell us about building that. Well, thanks uh, for sure. So from the very beginning, uh, I wanted this company to be something where I could stay close to my hands on sort of the chemistry and the making. And that meant that it was going to need to be made here in the United States because um, my lifestyle was not going to accommodate uh, moving to East Asia, let alone uh, sort of being on a plane four or five, six times a year. And I really wanted to be in it all the time. I love putty. I love feeling it. I loved continuously improving it. And so when we got to a point where uh, I couldn't make it in my house anymore, it was just too much. Hired high school kids to be like working the, the graveyard shift during winter break to keep up for Christmas. You know, you go through all those things. It was time to expand. And I thought back to uh, high school, I had had a job working in a dog tag factory where they made, you know, the pet tags for animals. People would send in names and addresses and we would um, make the tags and send them out. And I remember that a number of the employees there had intellectual uh, disabilities. And I also remember that they were by far the most uh, joyful and happy and enthusiastic employees in that facility. 100%. And so – the idea of renting a space and building a factory at that time seemed overwhelming. I had a neighbor who had a sister in a, uh, a vocational facility uh, due to her intellectual and physical disabilities. And she put me in touch with the director of the facility who said, hey, we, we actually do work and you, you, know, you can co-locate in this space and we can figure out ways to break down the tasks so that different people with different skills can work in pods to be able to make this work happen. And I just felt very comfortable with that right away. And um, that's what we did. And that's what we continue to do to this day. So good. So good. Such a, such a great thing to be involved with and uh, to have as a part of your business. Now, you've also got the brand Land of Doe. 
And, and I'm wondering about this, Aaron. So there's Thinking Putty and there's Land of Doe. And, and as I envision it, these are two gangs of product developers and, and, and they, they uh, wear different colors of clothes. And occasionally they'll go out in the back alley and they'll fight uh, Land of <laughs> Doe versus Thinking Putty. How do you keep the peace? Uh, this, is, this is like a, a Michael Jackson video where they, you know, they're snapping away. Um, no, tell us about Land of Doe as an extension of Crazy Aaron Enterprises and how the two are marketed differently. Sure. So it's not quite sharks versus jets, uh, <laughs> Land of Doe and Thinking Putty, uh, but they actually do live in separate parts of our facility. And uh, there's some commonalities. Uh, one would be that it's, it's a compound, right? It's a material that's made by mixing and there's a lot of chemistry involved in getting it right. And that's where I felt very comfortable that there was a lot to add. We learned a lot and knew a lot about how to make these things and how to do the safety on them for worldwide compliance, which is an increasingly large piece of um, toys and also especially compounds because there's more chemistry involved. Uh, so seeing that we could make it, but then recognizing, well, we don't want to make a second product that completely competes with our existing product. And we have an existing product that's sort of very appealing to ages three to 103. So where do we go from here? Uh, and seeing Doe as something that was a, a little more focused on preschool in some ways, because that's a classic play pattern for Doe, but also not also for tweens and teens, because it is so beautiful and luxurious and soft in the hand in the same way that Thinking Putty has a great feel. And also for adults who are looking for stress relief and calm. So you can see it's sort of different, but the same in a lot of the categories that Thinking Putty was successful. And um, so it became a match and it became something that we rolled out and something I remain very, very proud of to have what is, I, it's not, I don't think it's my opinion. It is the most ecologically and environmentally positive dough and packaging for dough uh, of any product that you can buy. And um, uh, the natural colors, natural ingredients, the glitters are compostable. We have, we have a very great consideration for the microplastic waste problem that's growing in the world. And we want um, parents to buy things for their children or for themselves that will not make that problem worse and they make it better. Yeah, so, such a great extension uh, to the brand. And, and all along the, the line, Aaron, you're making these conscientious decisions to do good, to bring good into the world. And I just want to stop here and say thank you for that. Uh, and and I, wanna, I want the audience to key in on that and realize that those kind of ideas can fly with a little entrepreneurial push. Um, you can really get out there and build a company that does good and brings good into the world. So that, that's just fantastic. Um, you did a TED Talk in Philadelphia where you, you hit on four points, and I love these. It's start with the impossible, reach beyond what you know, look to your past, and study how things fail. I want you to unpack those in the context of the toy industry and talk to the toy industry audience now. Um, how do those four things relate? How have you used those in your career and, and built your company around those? Sure. So the first, the first step is to reach for the impossible. And that was advice I got from Edwin Land, who founded Polaroid Corporation, which although it is not even representative of its current self, you know, it was the major innovator of the mid part of the 20th century. And the things that they did were insane 
you know, the most complex series of chemical reactions ever designed by humankind happening in your hand for a photograph. Mm. Uh, you know, more complex in some ways than a lot of the things that happen to send a person to the moon. So reach for the impossible for me in toys means think about yourself as a seven, eight, nine-year-old child. What would be the coolest thing ever? I mean, what was that toy you had and you just wished it went that one next level? What was the thing that it could do? And it may be something impossible. Like, wouldn't it be awesome if you had a hoverboard and it really floated and you could surf around on it, like in back to, <laughs> right? That is reaching for the impossible. But now you're going to try to solve that problem. And the next pieces of the speech were about, you know, how can you find your solutions? And some of the techniques were reaching beyond what you know. How do you get out of your box, your silo? How can you get out into the world? I talked about visiting an art museum. One thing that I, I continue to advocate, although it's a little harder in these pandemic days, is visiting trade shows outside your industry where there are thousands of super smart people solving complex problems and they're all there to tell you about it. And it's a great place to learn one-on-one -on -one and get your hands on things. And you'll find solutions to problems that someone else already solved, but only in like the electrical power transmission business. I mean, it sounds crazy, but it's not because the problems that exist in the world, they fall into certain domains and categories. And so there's a lot of overlap between industries. And that's where you can make connections to bring something to toys that's never been done before. Uh, moving, moving to the next step is looking to the past. And I talk about the value of the patent database. But when you talk about toys, um, it's also just reading like 19th and 18th century books about children, their lives, what they like doing, um, looking at really antique old, old toys and breaking them down and saying, what is the play pattern that's happening here? Because the psychology of human children has not changed in those many hundreds of years. And maybe you can latch on to sort of a, a truer, um, more deep instinctual version of whatever idea you have by looking at classic play. And then the last is how things fail. Uh, the universe does not want us to build complex things. Entropy increases. Everything wants to fall apart all the time. <laughs> that is true for physical goods. It is true for organization of thoughts and organizations and ideas. So you need to be uh, cynical, aggressive about thinking about how they fail so you, can, so you can plan for that. But also in understanding how they fail, you really do understand how they really work because you start to know what the weak points are um, and that the strong – um, vertices sort of holding your building up, the strong load-bearing members may not be as strong as you think they are. That is so good, Aaron. Uh, what you're really saying in those is, is to look outside your industry, look outside your knowledge. And we get very wrapped up in looking at toy trends and looking at what's at retail and walking the aisle. And I think it's a great reminder to look in other places as well for great ideas. Stop the navel gazing and look outside your industry. <laughs> I think a lot of times when we invent, we try to overinvent. We try to we try to make something that's like so departed from anything that exists. It's harder to do that. Also, when you show it to someone, they have less context to understand where it came from or what it's supposed to do. Um, 
And I think it is much easier to go to other industries and see interesting things that are happening. For me, it's about materials, right? Chemistry and materials. But for someone else, it's a different angle. Um, if you were a packaging designer, what's happening in food? What's happening in candy? What's happening um, in uh, apparel, right? How, those trends obviously influence what you're ultimately going to do for toys. But if you stay in your silo, then every toy box is going to look like every other toy box forever. Well, it relates back really to how uh, putty was originally invented. The military was looking for a new type of rubber. And uh, James Wright comes up with this this putty uh, that nobody knows what to do with. Uh, he had to look outside of the industry he was inventing in in order to find a place for his his idea. That's so right. I, I, I love how that that just uh, brings it back around. So, Aaron, you are also currently the vice chair of the Toy Association board. Um, pull back the curtain a little bit. What are some of the items that the committee is working on to better the toy industry? What are some of the current issues and challenges that we're facing in the toy industry? Sure. Well, the, these are challenging times. Uh, we've had two toy fairs canceled. The association runs the toy fair. I would say that's its most visible role in the industry. And obviously, toy fair uh, when it happens, is responsible for very large dollar figures in sales in terms of buyers meeting sellers. It's very important. But the other thing that the association does that's very important and more behind the scenes is we work with the regulatory regimes across the world to make an environment that is business friendly for toys while also ensuring that toys are actually safe for children. And um, I think it's that's sort of almost like the fire department, right? Uh, fire awareness is important. And so our regulatory team in the association pursues sort of awareness and education and getting everyone on the same page to make safe product. Um, but it also works to respond to fire calls uh, when, when there's an emergency or a problem where somewhere in the world um, legislation might be proposed that is um, maybe not science-based or fact-based. Uh, the association has the opportunity to go and be an educator there and help to get everybody on the page to, again, achieve that goal of making safe toys. So I th those are two big ones. And right now under this pandemic, looking at Toy Fair and what can that become, how we've lost the inertia of having Toy Fair year yeah. after year after year. Right. So right. is there an opportunity to rethink what it can be? What is its purpose um, and reimagine it for the next toy fair that we are going to have uh, so that it really meets the needs of stakeholders in a world where buyers don't need to physically come to a show as their only means of seeing a seller. And um, it's still an important component, but you want to make sure you optimize the experience for it rather than just assuming it's the only touch point. Yeah. Man. And how, how can we get as close as possible to that face to face experience? I know it has been very difficult to not be able to sit at the table and show a prototype, not be able to sit across the table and gauge the reaction and the emotions uh, coming from the people that you're working with. Um, and so I, I love that you guys are focused on that and, and trying to come up with solutions. And some of these issues uh, you took straight up the hill last year, 2021. You spoke in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee about counterfeit goods and unsafe goods coming from, I was going to say online, but coming from everywhere these days. And you gave a great presentation. It is, is on YouTube. I would encourage the listeners to go out and catch Aaron's words 
to the Senate, very strong, uh, very well thought, very well studied. Um, talk about that. A lot of the focus of your statement was around magnetic putty and the magnets that come in the counterfeit magnetic putty. Uh, but talk about that experience. Sure. Uh, I have been advocating for um, a change in how online marketplaces uh, do business and how they vet their sellers for, for many, many years. And so this opportunity came uh, with uh, the Inform Act moving through Congress to maybe make a, make a change. And so it was an opportunity to speak up on uh, behalf of myself, but also to support the work of the association in this regard, to recognize that toys safety is incredibly important to all of us. And it's incredibly important to parents, but it's also important to the industry. And when online marketplaces allow an environment where counterfeit goods can be commingled or just appear as legitimate goods, um, and those Counterfeit goods often do not meet safety standards. That is creating an unsafe situation. And we need to change the law to resolve that. And there are ways to do it. It's not an unsolvable problem. It's not a problem that makes it impossible to do online business. Um, we need to be with the times and we need to recognize that this is this is the reality right now. Yeah. Well, thank you. And thank the Toy Association for leading that charge. Uh, Aaron, what uh, what is in the future of Thinking Putty and Crazy Aaron Enterprises? What are you excited about? New products rolling out? Uh, what's the future look like? So kids ask me all the time, what's your favorite putty? And I always tell them it's the one I'm working on that I can't tell you about yet that I'm most <laughs> excited about. Guys, stay tuned. I'm going to ask Aaron a question about the biggest vat of putty he's ever seen. Stay tuned. After the bump, we're going to answer that question. But Aaron, again, thank you for coming on the show. How can people reach out to you, reach out to Crazy Aaron Enterprises and learn more and buy putty? Well, obviously, our website, crazyarons.com. Follow me, The Real Crazy Aaron, on TikTok. And um, also visit your local specialty toy store because they always have the best selection. Guys, check it out. The rainbow of colors. Mix them. Don't mix them. It's up to you. Aaron, thanks for coming on. This has been an absolute blast. Thank you. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for tuning in to the Power Kid podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Leave five stars and a written review as this helps us connect with more listeners just like you. Once you're subscribed, you'll be able to check out the other shows from Adventure Media and Events. And a big thank you to them. They are the publishers of The Toy Book, The Toy Insider, and The Pop Insider. We've got you covered on all toy industry news and events. This show is produced by Power Kid Design and Development. We are a full-service toy and game development studio serving the industry for more than 20 years. We provide illustration, branding, packaging, sculpting, prototyping, consulting, and much more. Check out PowerKidDesign.com or email me at phil at PowerKidDesign.com. Now go out and make something great. And remember, you are creative because you were created. God bless, and I'll see you next episode. Well, Aaron, as we mentioned, it just popped into my head as we were talking. Uh, the biggest vat of putty that you've ever seen. You're the guy to go to for that kind of question. Probably there's a Guinness Book of World Records out there that you should try for. What's the biggest vat of putty you've ever seen? It's a funny question because if you had asked me 1998, I would have said 100 pounds and it was amazing. And then in 2010, I would have said 500 pounds and I've never seen anything like it. 
And then in 2020, I would have said 2,000 pounds. And my gosh, I mean, that's like the, the size of an automobile. But I was in a chemical facility and they had a much bigger mixer and they were doing a special job for us. And there was about 5,000 pounds of putty pouring out of this machine. It was insane. Over two tons of putty. What are we talking about volume-wise? So it's about 5,000 pounds of human. We're about the same density, putty and humans. It's sort of grind <laughs> us all up and even us out. So, I love that fact. I love that fact. That's That's got to make it into a trivia game. You know, when you step into an elevator and it has a weight limit and you're, gonna, you're looking around and adding up the numbers – at least I do. I don't know about you guys. I love arithmetic. But um, so, yeah, about 5,000 pounds of people or I would say, um, I mean, that's like a modest sized swimming pool. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. Have you ever tried to swim in putty? Um, you know, there's that video online where Vat19 puts the guy in the bathtub of our liquid glass putty. Right. Right. Um, I would not do that. But he did it. And it's fantastic. so much fun Aaron thanks for hanging out and answering that last question thank you my pleasure my pleasure have a good one